Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of Teaching Tales. I'm your faithful guide, Arthur, and today we're diving into the awe-inspiring world of Sapiens, a brief history of humankind by the one and only Yuval Noah Harari. From the humble beginnings of Homo sapiens scrawling their stories on cave walls, to the earth-shattering revolutions that gave birth to empires, ideologies, and the internet, we'll traverse the epochs like a time-traveling Indiana Jones, unearthing the hidden gems of our collective past. So kick back, tune in, and get ready to absorb the history of humankind. This is Teaching Tales. Lesson 1. The Emergence of Homo Sapiens Once upon a time, in the dawn of humankind, Homo sapiens were not the only human species on Earth. Other species such as Homo neanderthals, Homo erectus, and the dwarf-like Homo floresiensis were contemporaries of early Homo sapiens. These early human species that there were at least six of had their unique characteristics and lived in different parts of the world. However, it was Homo sapiens, first appearing around 300,000 years ago in Africa, who eventually dominated. This new species was characterized by larger brains and superior cognitive abilities compared to their predecessors and contemporaries, such as Homo neanderthalensis and Homo erectus. However, it wasn't until the cognitive revolution, roughly 70,000 years ago, that Homo sapiens began to fully utilize these abilities. Harari speculates that this cognitive leap may have been triggered by a change in the brain's structure or chemistry. While the exact details are unknown, this change enabled new, unprecedented ways of thinking and communicating, which in turn allowed for complex social cooperation. Wow, folks! Can you imagine? There was a time when Homo sapiens had to share the Earth with other human species. It's like the setting of a prehistoric reality show, except the prize wasn't a million dollars. It was the future of the planet. Lesson 2. The Cognitive Revolution. Unleashing the Power of Imagination and Cooperation. This is where Homo sapiens start to show off their true colors, and boy, are they vibrant. The cognitive revolution serves as a landmark in human history, a period where Homo sapiens started to demonstrate cognitive capacities that were unprecedented and, quite frankly, game-changing. This wasn't just about having a more extensive vocabulary or sharper memory. It was a quantum leap that included advanced forms of communication and extraordinary imaginative abilities. What's fascinating is how these cognitive advancements acted like social glue, allowing Homo sapiens to cooperate in much larger groups than before. While a Neanderthal might have had a social circle that rarely exceeded his immediate clan, Homo sapiens could suddenly engage in wide-reaching social networks, all connected through shared beliefs and collective imaginations. This newfound social cohesion enabled them to disperse across diverse terrains and climates, expanding their footprint on a global scale. Now here's where things get a little murky. The rapid expansion and social sophistication of Homo sapiens coincide with the decline and eventual disappearance of other human species like Neanderthals and Denisovans. While the jury is still out on whether Homo sapiens directly drove these species to extinction, the timing is, to say the least, intriguing. In essence, the cognitive revolution didn't just kick-start Homo sapiens' journey toward global dominance, it also set the stage for the unfolding drama that we call history. When Homo sapiens began to imagine collectively, they weren't just fantasizing, they were building the mental scaffolding for civilizations to come. And that, dear listeners, is the opening act of the grand theater of human history. Lesson 3. The Power and Peril of Fiction and Shared Myths Let's take a moment to appreciate the sheer creative genius of Homo sapiens, 
It's not just about chiseling arrowheads or discovering fire, it's about the audacious ability to conjure entire worlds in our minds. Harari asserts that this knack for creating and believing in shared myths and fictions fundamentally sets Homo sapiens apart from other species, catapulting them to the top of the social and biological hierarchy. You see, while other animals are bound by the tangible world, Homo sapiens can transcend it. They create and subscribe to ideas as abstract as gods, human rights, nations, and even the concept of corporate entities. If you've ever wondered how pieces of paper or metal coins have value, well, that's the magic of shared myths for you. Our collective belief transforms them into money. Here's the kicker. These shared myths aren't just fanciful stories. They are the bedrock of large-scale human cooperation. In small, tight-knit communities, personal relationships and direct interactions might suffice for social cohesion. But as soon as you scale up, you need a framework, codes, norms and beliefs that everyone buys into. This is how you get complex societal organizations, whether they be religious congregations, political nations or global financial markets. However, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. Harari doesn't shy away from pointing out the darker aspects of our myth-making abilities. While these fictions have enabled tremendous advancements like art, science and governance, they have also paved the way for horrendous acts. Shared myths have been twisted to justify wars, genocides and systemic discrimination based on fabricated notions of racial, religious or national superiority. So, in the grand scheme of things, our ability to create shared myths is a double-edged sword. It has the power to bring us together to achieve remarkable feats but also the potential to divide us, sometimes catastrophically. As we dig deeper into human history, you'll see just how profoundly these myths have shaped our past, for better and for worse. Lesson 4. The Agricultural Revolution, When Humans and Wheat Became Roommates Ah, the Agricultural Revolution! That pivotal moment around 10,000 years ago when we humans thought, enough of this hunter-gatherer cardio, let's just grow our food. So, here's how we turned from nomadic wanderers to sedentary. Well, couch potatoes. The transition from foraging to farming started in a hotspot known as the Fertile Crescent. The area is located in the Middle East and is characterized by fertile soil and a favorable climate for agriculture. This is where we began the process of domesticating plants and animals. Gone were the days of stalking a deer for hours. Now it was all about milking cows and gathering eggs. Sounds easier, but boy, it changed everything. Now what about wheat? You think we domesticated it? Nah, according to Harari, it was the other way around. Wheat went all sneaky on us and convinced us to give up our wandering ways. It said, hey, settle down here and water me every day, will you? So all of a sudden home is where the farm is. This agriculture jazz made us plant our roots, literally. People started living in one place, leading to villages, cities, and ultimately the very social structures that define us today. So the next time someone says you should be more outgoing, remind them that introverted farmers made civilization possible. And oh boy, did our social lives get complicated. Harari talks about how we went from simple who's bringing the berries discussions to elaborate social hierarchies. Kings, priests, farmers, artisans. Suddenly we needed name tags just to keep track. Talking about keeping track, imagine what counting beans and writing receipts led to. You see, the business of farming got so complicated that we had to invent writing and math. Ever heard of cuneiform script? That's right, folks. Bureaucracy and red tape are as old as the first wheat fields. So was it all just peaches and cream? No. Despite the benefits, Harari points out that the shift to farming wasn't a universal win. He argues that early farmers often had poorer nutrition and health compared to hunter-gatherers due to dependence on limited types of food. We also got more crowded living conditions. Oh, 
and remember those domesticated animals? They were cute, but brought along some not-so-cute diseases. And we can't forget the environmental plot twist. Humans became landscape artists, but not in a good way. We're talking deforestation, species going extinct, and Mother Earth getting a radical, irreversible makeover. And there you have it. The agricultural revolution wasn't just about inventing bread. It was about reshaping the human world and, well, the entire planet. Lesson 5. The Rise of Cultures and Societies Harari notes that as we transitioned from hunting and gathering to farming, we didn't just swap berries for bread, our societies grew more complex, tribes morphed into kingdoms and empires, and yes, bureaucracy was invented. We all know cultures offer us great food, music and holidays, but Harari emphasizes that culture is like the software running on the hardware of human biology. In the grand tapestry of human history, cultures are the vibrant threads that give it all color and pattern. Even as early humans spread out across the globe, they developed uniquely distinct cultures. Think about it. Sushi in Japan, kangaroo hunting in Australia, and ice fishing in Canada. How's that for a global buffet? So which societies were the first big ones? Let's take a quick trip. Our first pit stop is Mesopotamia, where the Sumerians were busy inventing one of the world's earliest writing systems, cuneiform. But they weren't just about reading and writing. These guys laid down the blueprint for the world's first city-states. Basically, they were the pioneers of urban living, minus the food delivery apps. Moving on, we fly over to ancient Egypt, the land of the pyramids and mummies. While they were great at embalming folks for the afterlife, the Egyptians were equally skilled at governance and religion. Just remember, next time you're awestruck by the Sphinx, someone had to manage that construction project. Next, we're cruising to the Indus Valley. Picture well-planned cities with sewage systems that would make a modern city planner jealous. The only thing they left us scratching our heads about is their undeciphered script. Seriously, if anyone cracks that code, let me know. Now hold tight as we soar to ancient China. These folks along the Yellow River, known for their early forms of technology, were keen on philosophy and governance long before it was cool. Confucius say, Man who study history, very wise indeed. Last but not least, we're heading to Mesoamerica. These civilizations mastered maize and built pyramids without the help of wheels. The Mayans and Aztecs even had an intricate calendar. And no, it didn't predict the end of the world, just the end of a cycle. Okay, so societies and cultures grew separately all over the planet, but with time they started to borrow and learn from each other. Take the Silk Road, for example, it was like the ancient version of the Internet. But instead of memes, people exchanged spices, philosophies and inventions. A good deal, if you ask me. Finally, Harari reminds us, while cultures can give us grand architecture and spicy food, they also give us reasons to clash. Not everyone agrees on how to govern or whose god has the best afterlife package. Lesson 6. The Unification of Humankind So we've journeyed through the cognitive revolution, marveled at the rise of agriculture, and witnessed how cultures and societies sprang up like mushrooms after the rain. Now let's talk about how these isolated pockets of humanity started mingling. It's like the ultimate networking event, but spanning millennia and continents. All right, let's set the scene. Once upon a time, humans were scattered in isolated tribes and fledgling civilizations like Mesopotamia, the Indus Valley, and ancient China. But then, some folks got ambitious. I mean, build an empire ambitious. Think Alexander the Great, the Roman Empire, and the Maurya dynasty in India. These empires were the early melting pots of cultures, languages, and ideas. 
Now what glues an empire together besides power and maybe fear? Yep, you guessed it. Beliefs. Religions and ideologies started acting like a cultural superglue. I mean, who hasn't pondered about the big questions? Is there a higher power? What's the meaning of life? Well, religions have been answering these questions for eons, and their reach is expansive. Christianity, Islam, and Buddhism are like the major league players in the game of global influence. They go beyond borders and create a sense of unity, albeit with some caveats like, you know, holy wars and crusades. Still, they've been hugely influential in stitching the fabric of human civilization together. So religion was a big ingredient in the unification and so was the global trade networks. You know, commerce, the spice of life. The Silk Road and the Indian Ocean trade network wasn't just for trading silk, spices and shiny things. It was also an info highway, transmitting technologies, beliefs and even diseases like the Black Plague across continents. What about money? Oh, the things we do for a little piece of paper or a hunk of metal, am I right? Well, Harari explains that money is a kind of universal language. It's a mutually agreed-upon fiction that enables us to cooperate with complete strangers. Whether you're in Timbuktu or Tokyo, money talks. It makes trading goods and services more efficient and allows large systems to function. From coins to credit, this fiction has been a cornerstone of human unification. But hey, it wasn't all happy days. As empires expanded and ideologies spread, some cultures were erased and not everyone played nicely. So here we are, part of an increasingly unified world. It's like we're all characters in this massive, ever-changing story. But who's writing it? How do we decide what's right or wrong on such a large scale? As Harari suggests, these are questions without easy answers. The unification of humankind is both wondrous and fraught with complexity. It's the reason you can enjoy sushi in Switzerland and listen to K-pop in Kansas. But it's also why we face challenges that require global solutions like climate change and pandemics. Lesson 7 the scientific revolution, changing the game, once again. So here we are, folks, at the dawn of a new age, an age that shattered our perceptions of the world and even the universe. The scientific revolution was less about beakers and more about shaking the foundations of human thought. It was a paradigm shift that turned accepted truths on their heads and gave Homo sapiens unprecedented powers. Hold on to your hats because we're traveling back to the 16th century. Imagine a world where the sun orbits the earth, or so they believed. Well, a guy named Copernicus thought otherwise, and Galileo's telescope agreed. The earth wasn't the center of the universe, and boom! Just like that, centuries of religious and philosophical beliefs got a reality check. But the scientific revolution wasn't just about saying, hey, you got it all wrong. It introduced a new way of thinking. Empiricism. You see, scientists started saying, we won't just believe it, we'll prove it. With experiments, observations, and the scientific method, this new thinking gave rise to great minds like Newton, who could explain why apples fall from trees and what keeps planets in orbit. It was a giant leap for mankind, quite literally when you consider we used Newton's laws to get to the moon. The implications? Enormous. Harari points out that the shift wasn't merely academic. Science began to merge with politics and economics. Think about the British Empire. They used superior navigation technology, fueled by the scientific method, to dominate the high seas. Oh, and the Industrial Revolution? Well, you can't churn out steam engines and telegraphs without a decent understanding of physics and engineering. Now let's not sugarcoat things. The scientific revolution had its darker moments. The same knowledge that could cure diseases could also create devastating weapons. Harari makes it clear that science is a tool, not a moral compass. It gives us the power to change the world 
but how we use that power is a whole different ballgame. And guess what? The game is far from over. Today we're grappling with bioengineering, artificial intelligence, and even the possibility of colonizing other planets. Harari suggests that we're transitioning into an era where we're not just decoding life's mysteries. We might actually start writing the code. That's both exhilarating and, let's be honest, a bit terrifying. So there you have it. The scientific revolution was a game-changer, a plot twist in the story of humanity. As Harari eloquently puts it, it transformed Homo sapiens from social animals into the gods of our own fable. But as with any newfound power, it comes with enormous responsibility. We're the authors of the next chapter, and it's up to us to decide how the story goes. And there you have it, my friends. Another episode of Teaching Tales comes to a close. Today, we've been unearthing the milestones that make our collective history both awe-inspiring and, at times, sobering. As we part ways for now, I hope you leave this episode with a newfound appreciation for the intricacies of our evolution and a thirst to discover even more about who we are, where we came from, and perhaps most importantly, where we might be going. I'd like to thank you for letting me be your guide through the sands of time, and let's send a big thanks to the author Harari for sharing his knowledge. The link to his book is in the description below. Until our next scholarly adventure, keep those minds agile and those hearts open, and remember, knowledge is the map that guides us through the labyrinth of life. I'm Arthur, your ever-curious host, and this is Teaching Tales. Hasta luego. Hasta luego.